gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the next day, when the people who remained after the feeding of the 5,000 saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has been sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sustains. Amen. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Here in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, the divine playwright. You'll remember that John's Gospel is written in the form of a drama, and so he carries forward the story of Christ in dialogue and characterization. And uh, keep in mind that from time to time, the fourth wall will fall and we'll find ourselves actors in this drama. John sets what Jesus said, I am the bread of life, in a conversation between Jesus and the members of that crowd of people who have eagerly followed him in rented or borrowed boats, I couldn't make out which, across the Sea of Galilee, after he had fed so many of them, more than 5,000, on just a few loaves and fishes. At the same time that his meal had filled their bellies, it fired their imaginations and evoked in them their ancestral memories. Those backstories they had heard all their lives about how the Lord God had sustained their forebears when they were refugees migrating on foot in family groups through a parched wilderness, starved, pleading for a miracle, 
who then awoke one never-to-be-forgotten morning to find moist, sweet manna on the ground all around their encampment. That manna came every morning until they were satisfied and able to move on. Mortals ate the bread of angels. The psalmist memorialized the event. This was part of the great exodus, the saga that tells how the Holy One set them free. Though, even though in the wilderness they walked through the valley of the shadow of death, as their hunger was satisfied, the ancestors learned to trust in God to sustain them. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 had loosed these vivid memories of the Exodus among the crowd of Jews who now sought him out to interrogate him. Just yesterday, in the story, on that hillside by the Sea of Galilee, they thought they had caught a glimpse of the ancient Moses, maybe heard an echo of God's mighty deed. In the miracle of the loaves and fishes, mortals once more felt that they ate the bread of angels. All the same, in seeking to comprehend what had happened, they can only see as in a glass darkly. In this, they are quite like us, speaking for myself. When we cannot see beyond our viewpoints and our expectations, when we cannot turn away from the noise of our wired lives to be present to the loved ones in the same room with us. So maybe we can recognize a familiar obtuseness in the people questioning Jesus. Their perceptions are shaped by memories and preconceptions of what they learned as children about God. And so they are having a hard time making out this man in front of him, in front of them. And they struggle to understand, asking, what is this work you are doing? Are you a liberator and a lawgiver like Moses? Jesus answered the questions that they asked but he goes beyond their categories of thinking and gives answers to questions they don't know how to ask. Don't get caught up in the bread, Jesus seems to tell them, nor waste your life in getting and spending. Don't fight to keep the past upon its throne. If you filter the presence of the living, through narrow ideas or dogmas or doctrines or childhood beliefs, you may well miss what's right in front of you. I am the bread of life, says the Son of Man. He tells them, the living God is among you. The ancient of days that long ago set our enslaved ancestors free is present now. Life, another name for God, shimmers 
And pulses right here, right now, moment by moment. Can you see it? If we can awaken to that presence, Jesus says, we will know who we are and what we need to do now. It is striking to me to realize that in John's Gospel, uniquely among the four Gospels, the central event of the Last Supper is not the institution of the Eucharist, where Jesus takes the bread and the wine, says, this is my body, this is my blood. John doesn't even tell about that. Rather, in John, the central event of the last meal is the foot washing. Jesus, with extravagant tenderness, bathes the gnarly old feet of his disciples. But the absence of the institution of the Eucharist does not mean that communion is unimportant to John. On the contrary, even though John has no institution of the Eucharist, he has taken what was by then a well-known tradition of Christian worship and illuminated its heart of loving kindness, its ethic of service. I am the bread of life. In John, it's here, in chapter 6, is the place where the institution of the Eucharist is shown. Because for John, all of Jesus' life and ministry and words and love institutes the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. When I ventured into Trinity for the first time, first Lent of about 27 years ago, I came for the forum. The topic was the sacrament of Holy Eucharist in the Episcopal tradition. When I had seen it announced in the Concord Journal, I resolved to check it out because, coming as I was from a Catholic background, where the Eucharist is the center of everything, I was very curious to hear what people here might believe. I came with some heavy baggage. The uh, traditional Catholic understanding that I had grown up with and hadn't outgrown had been heavy with viewpoints, what the Buddhist teachers call views. First, that the Mass is a representation of the sacrifice of the cross, Christ's final act of self-giving. The crucified body is on the cross to remind us of his death that brought reconciliation to a sin-sick world in anticipation of his coming again in glory. And so, in the Mass, believers participated in Calvary and then went out chastened and humbled and ready to give their all in service of Christ in the world. So that was first. And then second, since I had been a most earnest student of the Baltimore Catechism, I carried still more preconceptions about the Eucharist. And I guess I wasn't the only one. Since the high Middle Ages, Catholics, at that time that was all of us Western Christians, 
had explained the Eucharist as transubstantiation. Raise your hand if you know what that means. Right. All right, we're good. Well, for those who may not know, I understand it to mean this. It's a term from Aristotelian natural philosophy, which at that at one time was the state of the art physical science beginning in the 13th century and right up until the early modern period. So to Aristotle, all things, everything whatsoever is made of form or substance and matter, undifferentiated stuff. And it's the substance or the form that gives matter its shape, its identity, its function. So in the mass, at the words of institution, this is my body, Christ's substance or form replaces the substance of the bread. Christ, as it were, becomes the substance of the bread, even though its outward appearance remains as before. So in terms of the old science, transubstantiation seemed to neatly explain the physics of Christ's real presence in the sacrament. But when Aristotelian science was superseded by modern physical science, transubstantiation for many people lost its explanatory value and then became codified as doctrine or dogma, itself opaque and impenetrable. So, as I say, these were the understandings that I was carrying as a cradle Catholic. Please don't hear me to say that all Catholics see the Eucharist in this way now. Uh, we should ask our Catholic friends what they actually believe and see. We may be amazed and instructed by the breadth of their experience of the sacrament. But this is what I was carrying. So I was all ears when I came into the forum and heard in the conversation one person, I believe it was our dear Babby Smith, who raised a very good question of the difference that I just alluded to, the difference between the crucifix in Catholic churches with the crucified corpus and the simple cross in our churches. She said, we do not have the body on the cross because we do not believe in the literal body and blood, but rather for us, the Eucharist is a symbol of the Last Supper, right? That's how Babby asked questions. Trinity's rector at the time, David Barney, gave an illuminating reply. No, Babby, he said, the Eucharist is more to us than a mere symbolic recollection of a past event. We believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament. Christ is truly present in a sacramental way. Ah, I thought, how graceful that viewpoint seems. Simple view of Christ as really present in a sacramental way unburdened of dogma and doctrine, seemed to me to be a wonderfully direct, liberated, open, 
open to sacramental imagination way of looking, open to the sacramental imagination and beyond that to the unfathomable mystery at the heart of faith. When I spoke about this at 8 o'clock, one perceptive lifelong Episcopalian reminded me that if you have 10 Episcopalians in the same room, you may have 12 different explanations of Holy Eucharist. Well, but I think, I think that we do speak of our worship as participation in the heavenly banquet at God's table, love presiding. It's as though the table is set, your seat is saved for you, your chair has been drawn out, inviting you to take your place. Therefore, we say, in grateful joy. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Nourished at that table, we leave to live as Christ's body in the world. In worship, we can experience boundless freedom to be really present ourselves, to life unfolding in every moment, to one another, released as we can be from preoccupation and prejudgment, free to simply see one another face to face. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. We believe that Christ is really present to us in the bread and the wine, yes, within our gathered community at prayer. in our song, in our sharing of life, in our mutual acts of mercy and loving-kindness, in our freedom to seek and to give forgiveness, in our actions out those doors beyond our worship to share the justice and mercy and wisdom and unconditional love that we know is offered to us and to all beings. Do you remember that poem by George Herbert, the Anglican priest poet, Love Bade Me Welcome? Since this sermon began with the playwright John the Evangelist, I will end it with an offering of poetry, inviting your imagination to soar free as an artist of faith when together we worship the holy mystery present to us in a sacramental way. George Herbert. Love bade me welcome, but my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here, Says love, you shall be she. I, the unkind, ungrateful, oh my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my sin go where it doth deserve. 
Know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Amen. Amen.